This is the Strategic GC, Gartner's General Counsel Podcast. Welcome to the Strategic GC. I'm your host, Eliza Crickman. Today, we're going to talk about keeping legal talent happy in their jobs, even when a raise or a promotion isn't on the table. Now, we know that a lot of in-house lawyers are feeling burnt out by a heavy workload and exhausted from a lot of change in recent years. And there's also fear about the future with job security and the dawning of the AI revolution. However, there is good news. It is possible for GC to keep lawyers happy and motivated in their job without breaking the bank or offering them a new role. And here to talk with me about that today is my colleague, Roxanne Rogers. Roxanne is an advisor in Gartner's legal and compliance practice. She's an expert in legal talent management, and she talks with GCs at large organizations every day. Welcome to the show, Roxanne, and thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I understand a lot of in-house lawyers are feeling burned out right now. What efforts do you see GC doing to address that at the moment? So in our conversations with GC, there's actually been significant range. I think the more prevalent approach that you'll see and, and probably won't come as much of a surprise is workload management tactics, right? So thinking about ways to take work off the plates of visibly burning out uh, lawyers and finding new ways in which to tackle some of those needs. The other approaches we've seen oftentimes focus on injecting moments of levity, as we'll call it. So getting staff together, right, for, um, you know, maybe, maybe an hour of entertainment in an evening to lighten the mood in the room in some way. In some organizations, I've worked with uh, GC who have actually asked me for recommendations around, you know, how do we maybe coordinate around dinner plans or virtual, you know, wine tastings? What's the best kind of entertainer you've heard about, Roxanne? Give us the, the dish. So there's actually been significant range. Musical acts, candidly taking people to escape rooms is really common. I know that doesn't qualify as an entertainer, but you would be amazed at the end size I've seen there. In other instances, live acts like comedians. So that sounds very fun. And I'd love to be treated to a live music performance or an escape room activity with my colleagues. But is that a long term tactic GCs can employ? Honestly, right, it will address maybe some feelings, right, of, of burnout in the moment. People get together and they really do have, you know, a moment of levity, get to interact with colleagues, but it doesn't get underneath some of the root causes of burnout that we've seen. And candidly, in some cases, probably isn't as helpful, right? Uh, think about your your team's introverts, right? Being put in some of those situations, right? Having to, to go through the escape room exercise. So well, it tends to have a short-term effect if we're thinking about the real drivers of burnout. The real drivers of burnout and overcoming burnout is what leads to better engagement, right? Precisely. Let's not keep our listeners in suspense. If it's not money or a promotion, what is the most effective way to engage burned out lawyers? 
As a part of our corporate lawyer engagement survey, Gartner went out to thousands of in-house counsel across organizations. We wanted to understand what keeps them at their organizations and, as you said, right, what motivates them to stay. And what we actually found is it was personally fulfilling work was kind of the core employment value proposition driver that won out against all others, even compensation or total rewards. That is really interesting. So, you know, beyond retaining employees, which is, of course, important, you know, why does it matter to have highly engaged employees to their to their companies? First and foremost, it's important to have happy lawyers, right? Happy lawyers means you have a functional working team. We found that once lawyers hit the point of burnout, in some cases, delay or scope down projects while they're in seat. So, you know, burned out employees means it's harder to deliver on business outcomes. Right. So they're scoping down projects. Are you basically saying that if they're more engaged, that they're going to accomplish more, they'll be more productive? Yeah. In short, they're more productive, more likely to, you know, um, provide right um, positive business outcomes in the, you know, Cool. So we're saying that the antidote to this burnout or exhaustion is personally fulfilling work, but that's kind of a vague term. How do we define it? Personally fulfilling work is admittedly, right, a, a bit HR in terms of how it sounds. But what we're effectively saying is that there are really two components. One, that we have a clear understanding of what lawyers' motivators are, right, relative to the sort of work that they're doing in the organization. So what excites them? What sort of tasks do they get lost in or absorbed in as they go about them? The other piece of it, too, is, you know, finding meaning in the work that you do as it relates to the organizational's goals, right? So being able to tie back your work to clear strategic impact for your organization. This all sounds nice in theory, but how do GC actually implement this in practice? From a practical standpoint, we have found that the most effective GC and legal leaders um, deploy an approach called job crafting. And job crafting is effectively thinking of ways that in-house staff can customize their jobs by thinking about the sort of tasks and interactions that they find motivating and kind of bringing those to the center of what they do, using that to identify the sort of work that they want to get involved in and also ideally, right, to encourage their career development. So that also sounds nice, but actually, how do you make that happen? Because it's not always easy to tell what motivates or excites somebody. So how do you actually do this? So to your point, it's oftentimes hard to think about what motivates you. In fact, you know, if I think about my motivators on a day-to-day -day basis, without a significant effort put into considering what those are, considering what energies I bring to work, I, I couldn't say that that would be the easiest thing to align on. You know, we actually went out, um, interviewed a number of organizations and an approach from a healthcare organization has resonated with a number of GC that we work with. What that team did is they had a consultant come in. They completed a survey where they actually identified the sort of things that interest them, right, or that they find compelling in their job. So being, you know, a team player and striving towards a goal, coaching and mentoring others within the organization. However, if you don't have someone to come in and 
conduct a, a survey like that. What we found is that effective leaders simply have a really intentional conversation with their direct reports around this. You know, if you are someone who is motivated by your industry and emerging topics that might be exciting, well, maybe playing a heavier role in terms of how to navigate new regulations or getting um, some experience in areas like government affairs would be appropriate for you as an in-house counsel. Actually talk about what people find interesting in their jobs. And from there, there's an opportunity to think about ways in which they can press on those things a little bit harder. So GCs and their team leaders should make it a priority to have conversations with the legal team about what interests them and what work motivates them in order to create job crafting, right? That's right. And so you've talked a little bit about how to identify what motivates legal talent. How can you make it more visible, the opportunities they might have to work on things that would interest them? Ensuring that there is a perception of fairness, right, around any job crafting approaches that you choose to implement. There's a few ways that you can do it. One organization, the Gartner Profiled, an agricultural organization, actually created a project marketplace. So what they effectively did is have managers across their in-house department post major projects, you know, say you're going to have a, a large uh, data privacy, you know, related project in a particular geo, you might provide some upfront information around what that will entail, the associated capacity requirements, maybe to the number of FTEs you need involved. And then, of course, the skills that uh, staff would have to bring to bear. And then what they actually have their staff do is apply to those projects, irrespective of uh, how much experience they have in that area. And if they don't have the experience, they can speak with their managers about ways in which they might upskill or adaptations to their involvement in that project so they can still get involved in work that they find meaningful. I've worked with departments that actually take a much lower key approach to that. It could be as simple as using existing collaboration tools that you have. Uh, an organization I've partnered with has used uh, their Slack channel to effectively better share knowledge around upcoming projects and think through ways in which staff can be more proactive in recommending different ways to get involved, even if they're not co-located, which, as you can appreciate, gets a lot harder in this increasingly remote and hybrid world that many of our many legal departments are operating within. Okay. So if you don't have the resources or time to put together a formal project marketplace, you can accomplish something similar with tools you already have in, in communication channels like Slack or Teams. That's what you're saying? Absolutely. As long as you put in place the practice of creating visibility around those sort of opportunities, having intentional conversations around the sort of opportunities staff want to get involved in, and put those in a place where people in different regions, locations, you know, uh, homes, right, can see them from afar, then you're able to generate, right, the equity necessary to, to get people onto some of those opportunities. Got it. Now, what are some guardrails you need to put in place in order to do job crafting effectively? Because I imagine that not all work is suitable for, for customizing in this way. Absolutely. So, you know, if you're thinking about job crafting, it can feel a bit squishy, right? Um, when we're not saying that you would, you know, craft out 
necessities of, of, a, of a lawyer's job. There are going to be certain legal areas right, of expertise that would remain central to the individual's work. If you are a commercial contract attorney, chances are you'd continue right to own um, activities and, and 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 focus in that area. Similarly, we're not telling you to break apart, you know, core risk management or compliance activities the team's involved in. What can actually be crafted are some, frankly, the softer skills, right, and opportunities that you might have. Are there, you know, ways in which you can develop better project management skills? This is oftentimes an area of interest for in-house teams that we work with. Are there ways to get people more involved in, uh, you know, driving forward uh, a transformation or initiatives, right? Managing other stakeholders across different functions. That's an example of an opportunity that can be crafted. Similarly, things like people management skills. You don't have to be a people manager in order to craft that into your role. There are opportunities to, you know, have uh, in-house staff connect with one another as mentors or mentees. Um, have individuals who have a particular area of strength in a practice area maybe coach in-house staff that are interested in developing a greater awareness of other areas of subject matter expertise, right? Have your commercial, you know, counsel, you know, coach an individual who's typically involved in, you know, regulatory affairs, for instance. When you talk to clients about this tactic, does it resonate? Have they shared any success stories with you? One department comes to mind where, generally speaking, had, you know, at least two to three individuals who really wanted to move into people leadership roles were interested in eventually becoming future general counsel. And that client wanted to effectively fashion their department as being a bit of a, a leadership development platform for individuals that had similar goals. So what they effectively did is had individuals, um, you know, identify a number of areas where they're interested in building skills. They had individual development conversations separate from the performance management process to understand what it what GC dif- disciplines, right, would be helpful to build upon. So for, you know, one of our direct reports, it was being able to coach, mentor and develop others within the department because that was an area of, of, less, of lesser experience for her. For another individual, it was getting more time in front of the board, right, and, and supporting uh, secretarial duties so that they were able to better understand those processes. And then finally, the other individual was more involved in cross-functional projects and experiences because, of course, in order to be a legal leader, right, you have to have that ability to interface across a broad range of senior management roles and functions. And that's effectively how they fashioned their develop their leadership development program. They took core GC competencies. They thought about the aspects of, you know, that work that interest staff who had similar aspirations. And then they found ways to break apart those opportunities based upon the respective direct reports needs. Really interesting example. So for some of the GCs listening to this show, what obstacles might they face trying to implement job crafting? And, you know, how can they overcome them? 
So in terms of obstacles, I think in large part, it's a matter of intentionality. If you, you know, are thinking about evaluating your employment value proposition, you want to engage members of your team, and you know that promotions matter, or you know that increases in compensation matter, and you sit down and you say, I suggest that you job craft, that that might be a better way going forward. That's obviously not going to resonate right well with somebody who's 25 plus years into their career. What tends to be more effective is actually weaving this into existing expectations for staff. Ensure that the conversations happen on a formalized basis. Where I've seen organizations have the most success with this is, you know, they are scheduling time to talk about development objectives separate from the performance review process. I think some of the other obstacles to consider as well as some opportunities are going to be interested to a broad range of people in the department, right? And not everyone's going to be able to get additional experience, right, with the with a large data privacy project. Not everyone is going to become your corporate secretary. So again, being proactive around understanding what people's motivators are, both primary motivators and then maybe some of the secondary things that that interest them is a way to foster more equity. Well, I think we're at time now, Roxanne. So thanks so much for being on the show. appreciate all your expert commentary. Thank you. Next up is my colleague Steve Shapiro to discuss another issue rising on the corporate agenda, growing geopolitical tensions. Steve, welcome to the show. And can you tell us about what's going on with geopolitical tensions right now? Thanks, Eliza. Absolutely. So most executives think that the global order is shifting. 88%, in fact, think this. And a majority of executives think that the world is re-globalizing. In other words, globalization is continuing, but it's continuing centered around different power centers in the world. What does that mean for companies? How do they see things unfolding from there? Well, to some extent, it depends on how they see the global order shifting. For those that are seeing the world re-globalize around those different regional power centers, they're significantly more likely to be doing things like making their supply chains more resilient or shifting their most important operations to different regions um, compared to those who don't see globalization changing all that much. Interesting. And what does this mean for the risk landscape? Well, according to risk leaders, it means a lot. Nearly four in 10 risk leaders are changing how they're looking at these new emerging geopolitical risks. They're saying that they're doing more separate risk assessments for geopolitical risks. They're assessing these risks more vigorously. They're adding more questions about geopolitical risks to their overall risk assessments. And they're looking closely at how these different risks will impact other risks on their radar. So... We've got a lot of changes going on in the world. Do executives feel prepared for it? The short answer to that is they don't. In another poll of audit leaders that we've looked at, only 8% say that they're prepared to cover geopolitical tensions that are showing up. Even executives at IT firms are wary about this issue. Only about a third say that they're prepared for the geopolitical impacts that they think are going to impact their firm. Steve, can you tell us a little bit about the series that your reporting came from? Yes, this is coming from the Executive Pulse article series. These are roundups of executive sentiment around different issues, and you can find all these on Gartner.com. Thanks so much for that report, Steve. Thank you. 
please subscribe and share the episode with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. Gartner Podcasts are a production of Gartner, the world's leading research and advisory company, equipping executives across the enterprise with indispensable insight, advice, and tools to achieve their mission-critical priorities. You can learn more at Gartner.com. All content in Gartner Podcasts is owned by Gartner and cannot be repurposed or reproduced without Gartner's consent. Gartner is an impartial, independent analyst of business and technology. This content should not be construed as a Gartner endorsement of any enterprise's product or services. All content provided by other speakers is expressly the views of those speakers and their organizations.